Telehealth, a long overdue technology, is the need of the hour today. Historic legislations are passed and billions of dollars are committed by the government to prepare healthcare practitioners to deliver virtual care. But is the healthcare ecosystem ready for a change? And if so, can it scale in a sustainable manner? Let's find out. Hi guys, this is your host Ashish Jain and you're listening to the Alignment Podcast where we go beyond the buzzwords and connect the dots between technology and its business impact. Our guest today, Dr. David Shulkin, is an experienced healthcare professional who has served the United States as a Secretary of Veteran Affairs. In 2017, he was unanimously confirmed to lead the Department of Veteran Affairs after serving as an Undersecretary during President Obama's tenure. He has a lot of hands-on experience in implementing telehealth across VA's own healthcare system of over 1,200 hospitals and clinics across the country. Dr. Shulkin has a medical degree from the Medical College of Pennsylvania and has held leadership roles with multiple hospitals and healthcare systems. He has also authored the book, It Shouldn't Be This Hard to Serve the Country. My goal today is to discuss the alignment gaps and challenges that lie ahead of us in adopting technology in healthcare sector and how will healthcare begin to change after we recover from the unprecedented coronavirus crisis. Dr. Shulkin, it's an honor to have you on the show. Welcome. Glad to be with you, Shish. Well, thank you. So, you have a pretty broad experience, both from a corporate side of the world as well as the political side of the world. Can you please give us a little bit of flavor of your background and how, according to you, the healthcare system differ from one world to the other? Well, I've been in healthcare quite a while. Primarily, though, I'm a physician, and I look at the world through the eyes of how a physician cares for a patient. And in all of my various roles, including being secretary of the Department of Veteran Affairs, I never took off my white coat or my stethoscope. I always made sure I made time to take care of patients because that helps me in understanding the job that I'm trying to do in leading an organization, but it keeps me grounded in why I do the work that I do. I've had the privilege of working in academic health systems, in community hospitals, doing startups, being dean of a medical school, working in government, uh, working with managed care organizations. So I've seen healthcare across a number of different spectrums. And I think right now, even with the various uh, challenges that we face, like the coronavirus, I've never been more excited about the opportunity to make advances in healthcare with looking at the various types of technologies that we have coming on board, looking at new ways and approaches to managing populations of patients. So I think it's a very exciting time where there's going to be considerable change going on. And I would just uh, add back in about the current crisis that we face with coronavirus. Times of crisis are often times that things move quicker out of necessity and people put aside traditional ways of looking at things and understand that the world will never necessarily be the same. So I think we're looking as we come out of this crisis at a dramatically uh, rapid change period that frankly uh, can end up making healthcare better for all of us. Oh, that's, uh, that's very well said in terms of the crisis really defines you know, the innovation and leads into the innovation. So talking about that, right? So there are certain technologies that have been out there in talks for, well, decades telehealth being one of them. And it's always coming from a technology background myself. I've been in the networking and communication space and we used to build, uh, we built 
unified communication solutions, video conferencing solutions, for all different wide variety of verticals. And I always you know, puzzles to you know figure out why is telehealth so slow to be adopted in the healthcare sector. I'm, I mean, I'm sure there are regulatory restrictions, payment you know restrictions, but is it also does it anything to do with the readiness of the technology? What, what's your thoughts on that? No, I don't think this has ever been a technology issue. I think we've had telehealth one way or another for over 40 years. I think that this has been almost solely a reimbursement issue and a regulatory issue. And so when you ask uh, healthcare leaders or you ask physicians to do things that are against their economic best interests, they're simply not going to do it. And so since telehealth has not been paid for in a way that has parity to physical visits, uh, it should be no surprise that this is a slowly adopted technology. When you have regulatory barriers that prevent you from being able to perform normal patient functions, such as being able to care for a patient on an initial visit or being able to prescribe certain medications using telehealth, it is no surprised that this has been so slow to be adopted. So I return to my comments about the crisis. And now we see uh, now that this crisis with coronavirus has been built almost precisely for the use case of telehealth. We see that CMS was very quick to issue 1135 waivers where they've created both parity and reimbursement and have removed many of the nonsensical regulatory barriers so that telehealth can be used because it's necessary to be used. And I think it's going to be very hard to put the genie back in the bottle. I think these will be permanent changes for the healthcare system. Yeah, that was my next question. Is, is it going to be temporary just to deal with the crisis or do you think they will they will sustain? Well, I would never underestimate people trying to do the wrong thing. <laughs> I mean, we have a way in healthcare of making everything complex, difficult, and bureaucratic. But I don't think it's going to be easy to put this back the way it was before. And frankly, it's not fair to the healthcare system or to patients. You can't say, we're going to show you how well and easy this technology works and how convenient it's been. And maybe it saved a lot of lives by keeping people out of waiting rooms that that where infection can be spread. But we're just kidding about that. Now Now we want to go back to the old ways of being bureaucratic and regulatory. We want to pay you less for that. And uh, good luck with that. And I think if the provider and the public um, tolerate that type of behavior, then uh, you know we have to remind people that people in government work for the people, not for uh, bureaucracies. And so... Um, I certainly hope that it does not go back to the way it was. Yes, I, we hope that too as well. Um, now you mentioned something right earlier in terms of, you know, the barrier had been mostly around the regulatory and the payment reimbursements, how it's reimbursed and technology has never been a, a barrier as such. Um, what do you have to say about the readiness of the healthcare ecosystem itself? When I say readiness of the healthcare ecosystem, I mean, you know, the readiness of the hospitals to understand how the technology plays a role and and the readiness. I mean, hospitals still have a bigger staff in the IT teams and then percolating down to the individual practitioners who are 
you know, small one or two practices? And do they understand what they need to do? And what are the alignment gaps there in, in your perspective that needs to be filled in the coming days uh, to really make it scale? I think that every hospital and health system in the country is using this time that they are waiting to see which way that this infection goes in their community to rethink their strategies. Most hospitals and health systems in this country, including physician practices and ambulatory centers, are experiencing significant declines in revenue and not only in operating revenue, but non-operating revenue that kept many organizations going. And so they're going to have to do complete financial reforecasts. They're going to have to do new capital plans. They're going to have to rethink their strategy. And frankly, not all these organizations are going to have an easy time finding their way out of this crisis. And so those organizations that are most capable, I think, will rethink what they've seen, try to understand how this pandemic has changed behavior, and will adopt a different strategy. And that is going to mean that they're going to have to think much more about investing in areas that they have not and not investing in areas that they have. And they're going to have to do it in partnership with government because government pays more than half of the healthcare bill right now and the payers that they work with. And so what's so complex about making change in healthcare is, is that you can't change alone because if you change your service offering, but the payers don't change with you, it doesn't work very well. And if you change without the regulators working with you, it doesn't work very well. But I think it takes a pandemic of this size and scope for everybody to have stopped doing what they're doing, to sit back and think, how can we make this system work better? And I think if there's ever a time to do that, it's going to be once we come out on the other side of this crisis. Yeah, that's great. Um, what basic, you can call it technology, you can call it infrastructure, do you think is needed for the healthcare system and across the board, whether you are a small practitioner or a larger practitioner, to be in place to evolve from this and think about telehealth as a strategy? Well, for, first of all, you know, having my last position run the largest healthcare system in the country, I thought a lot about this, that if we weren't going to lead in this area, um, how would you ever see change? So three years ago, I made the changes that we are now all talking about in telehealth. I went to President Trump. I got his support. The way I did it was, as I said, I've been a practicing doctor. I was seeing telehealth patients myself from my office in Washington, D.C. that overlooked the White House to Grants Pass, Oregon, which is a very rural part of Oregon where I was the doctor in the VA clinic there taking care of veterans using telehealth. And I brought my telehealth equipment to the West Wing. I showed President Trump how I cared for patients. I introduced him to my staff and my patients, and I asked him for his help because I said, I had all those same regulatory barriers that the rest of healthcare faced. We couldn't deliver telehealth outside of a VA facility. We couldn't deliver it in the home because of regulatory issues. We had problems crossing state lines. So I got all that resolved 
three years ago and saw the impact that had on veterans. Last year, we delivered 900,000 veterans care through telehealth, which is pretty amazing. And um, it's just continuing to expand more and more all the time. But I think what is going to be needed besides some of these regulatory and reimbursement changes that I've already talked about is we're going to have to finally tackle the issue of interoperability of healthcare data. And this is a second example, the first one being telehealth, but a second example where I do not believe that the barriers are technology related. It is not technically difficult to get one data source to communicate with another data source. What we have here is a business model problem where there are companies that believe that they have found a way to monetize and, and, and get paid for the transfer of data or the ability to block data and have to build interfaces that they charge for. So that has limited so much of the ability of technology to be effective in healthcare. And what we really need is we need the patient to be the owner of the data. We need the patient to be the one who controls everything that is related to them and not the technology vendors and the electronic medical record companies. So um, I think that's the next major change. We're beginning to see uh, the Office of the National Coordinator in the Center for Medicare and Medicaid Services taking a lead on this, writing some regulations, but it's going to take a real commitment from providers and payers again to force this change to happen. Now, that's uh, an area where the big problem, totally agree with you on that one, because if you cannot transact right. across the ecosystem, there's a complete misalignment of what you do. Right. But it's interesting, uh, the, the numbers you, you share, 900,000 veterans cared through telehealth now and with your with your efforts that you started three years ago. How did you do that? What were your learnings in it? And, you know, what could the healthcare system going forward be aware of that they should not make those mistakes? Well, most innovation happens because out of necessity. And I had a big problem leading the VA, and that was was that we had a access problem. We had veterans waiting too long for their health care, and many were being harmed because of that wait. So in order for me to most efficiently deliver care to parts of the country that didn't have healthcare professionals, like many rural parts of the country who didn't have specialists, uh, I really needed to find a way to deliver the expertise that I had in the VA, which usually resided in metropolitan areas, New York, uh, you know, Philadelphia, Pittsburgh, Boston, Chicago, use, use them to be able to help people in rural parts of the country where, where many veterans live. And telehealth, again, was designed perfectly to be able to do that and to help. I just needed to get rid of the regulatory barriers. In the Department of Veteran Affairs, the reimbursement issues weren't a big deal because we get our money from Congress and Congress then says, here's your budget, go do what's in the best interest of veterans. And so that, that part was easy. In the private sector, you have to deal with the reimbursement alignment issues as well. But, but it really was that necessity to do this that allowed um, me to make as much progress as we did in the area of telehealth. 
That's great. Now, telehealth has so many different flavors, right? In terms of, um, you know, when I look at telehealth, uh, it is one way of doing it is you're still, you know, going to a facility and you're providing, like you said, specialist lack of specialist. The specialist is basically supporting them remotely, wherever they are, right? Second aspect of it is um, providing support in-home and that in-home has, you know, one is in-home care has two perspectives to it. One is I am sick. I'm just need to talk to a doctor just to be checked. That is one aspect. And the second aspect is I have a chronic disease or I just gone through a surgery and I need somebody to monitor me after, you know, I'm discharged from the hospital and come back. Where do you see the telehealth is applicable based on what we currently have from a technology perspective and where do you see will it will have the most impact? I don't particularly like the model that is facility-based. Um, while, while there are certainly some use cases there that are important, uh, I think we have to design this system around what the patients want, what, what the patients need. And so in this current crisis that we're seeing with COVID-19, I think you can see that it's really important to be able to deliver care in the patient's home and where where they need to be. And that's really the model that I believe is going to be most effective. People are going to want to get their care from their phones uh, where they get most everything else, whether that's at work or, or at home. And we need to design a system that meets the lifestyle of the needs of our customers. And so, so I think that the model of care that I like the best is a direct-to-consumer model, one that doesn't require ancillary healthcare staff to deliver the examination. And now there are increasingly devices that have allowed patients to do their own examinations using video and using ancillary devices incorporated into a handheld machine. I think we're going to see more point-of-care testing in the patient's home. We're going to see more advanced illness management in the patient's home. And I think that's going to be the model that I think is going to be the most effective. There still will be abilities to have facility-based telehealth and and some you know, specific disease management components of telehealth models. But I think the primary model is going to have to be a mobile model that creates an environment in the home for care management. Yeah, I wish we we can get to that level. I think there it's there to an extent. I mean, when I need to consult with a doctor today, I there are certain uh, providers who are able to get on a video call with us, and you know, based on that initial what you can call triage, you they they determine whether or not we need to come to the facility, right? And with the crisis, as you as you mentioned, it's becoming more and more required that you just do not want to go to the facility anymore. Mm-hmm. This will make people to believe that this is possible, first of all, right? And I think a lot of time, which I feel where the misalignment comes in is you have to believe it to accept it, right? And this crisis is is definitely making that possible in enabling people to understand that this does work, right? The technology is there. And it's, again, to your point, it's a matter of getting the the policies and the barriers removed to make it available to everyone. I saw the latest announcement that nearly $200 million were awarded to FCC in terms of supporting the uh, 
uh, the, the telecommunication industry to enable healthcare providers to support the telehealth. What's your take on that? How how do you think that will help overall in, in building the infrastructure that is needed? Well, I think it, I think it's a good it's a good first uh, step because I think that for some the uh, infrastructure investments are going to be challenging, particularly you know implementing telehealth where there aren't good 4G or 5G networks available. I think that's always been the limitation, particularly in parts of the country where we need it the most, like in rural areas. But I think what government will have the biggest role in doing is just to continue to maintain these uh, relaxations of the regulatory burdens and in trying to assure that there be uh, reimbursement parity. And then I think consumer demand and the market will take care of the rest of the problem. That's great. No, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned uh, that from an infrastructure perspective, 4G, 5G is, is important. Do you see, uh, you know, when I, I've come from a telecom side of the world and I've spent nearly 20 years in that sector, I'm not sure if you have seen any of the latest technology innovations that the industry is actually showcasing in terms of using 5G for remote healthcare in unimaginable way where you're on the field, the ambulances are out there, you're able to actually, you know, do an ultrasound remotely and it's just like you see what you see and you feel what you feel kind of technologies out there. Do you see, I don't know how much you're tracking 5G, but do you see 5G will play a role in 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 setting the right infrastructure to provide connectivity throughout the country? Yeah, I think it's going to be critical. I think I think without the bandwidth to be able to uh, use some of the data flow tools and the and the necessity to do uh, more extensive types of care over over the internet, we're going to need to have that infrastructure in place. I think it's going to make a big difference. Indeed, I completely agree that without a high quality connectivity across the country, telehealth cannot succeed. Well, it was a pleasure talking to you, Dr. Shulkin. Thanks for your time. Thank you, Ashish. Wow, that was a great discussion, Dr. Shulkin. The alignment gaps between the regulators, the payers, and the healthcare system must be filled to make virtual care accessible to everyone in the country. Your efforts to make healthcare available to our veterans is commendable. You have proven the technology is ready, and we hope the industry adopts it soon. And yes, let's not put the genie back in the bottle. Thanks everyone for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to the Alignment Podcast on your favorite platform and please share your thoughts on this week's episode. You can reach out to me on my email ashish.jain at kairosbuzz.com or drop me a note on my LinkedIn. Until next time, stay safe.